Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Uh, This morning, we are continuing in Isaiah. Uh, We'll be in Isaiah chapter 30 today. In whom do you truly trust? When your life is on the line, in whose hands do you place your life? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking we're in church. So the answer is God, right? We, We may even answer God reflexively without even thinking about it, without really examining ourselves. Others of you may be struggling with doubts about God, and you would not answer God to that question. Nevertheless, when we hit crisis moments, we begin to see who we really trust. So let me give a couple of examples. I recently met a pastor who is serving in Ukraine with his family. He's an American. He could easily leave and go back to his home country with his family but he has chosen not to. What would you do? Would you stay and endure the terrors of war in order to proclaim Christ? Another example. I also recently met a pastor in Hong Kong. Over the last three years, they have seen the churches in Hong Kong decrease by half. And it's because so many people are leaving the city. And many reasons are cited, finances, job opportunities, family needs. What would you do? For most of us, if we're honest, our instinct is to flee troubled places. We can sometimes try to make it a little bit better by saying, I would stay, but I have to think about my children. But all of this ignores something really important. Our decision-making is entirely pragmatic or maybe even emotional. Where does our faith fit into our decision-making? So today we're looking at Isaiah 30, and this chapter deals with Israel having a crisis moment, having to make a hard decision. It appears that they are about to be conquered by the Assyrians, who are ruthless and terrible. So they naturally want to find refuge, and so they have chosen to seek refuge with the Egyptians. 
However, God had instructed them not to go back to Egypt. What would you do? More importantly, why would you make that particular decision? So this morning, we're going to look at this in three parts. Responding to hard decisions, repenting of faithless decisions, and restored in God's grace. Responding to hard decisions. Let me read the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 30. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan, and his envoys reach Hanes, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. An oracle on the beasts of the Negev, through a land of trouble and anguish, from where come the lioness and the lion, the adder and the flying fiery serpent? They carry their riches on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of, of camels to a people that cannot profit them. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab who sits still. This is the word of the Lord. Israel has chosen to go her own way. And according to this text, they did not pray about it. They did not show any sign of seeking God's direction. Instead, they chose Egypt rather than God for their shelter. In the words of one author, they had exchanged the shadow of the Almighty for the shadow of one very small human being the Pharaoh. Egypt was no longer the powerful nation it once was. In fact, their ruler at this time was no longer an Egyptian, but an Ethiopian. And we can see in this passage, in verse 7, Egypt's help is worthless and empty. One just quick side note, at the very end, uh, in verse 7, it refers to Rahab. Uh, Rahab is a nickname for Egypt. It's not to be confused with the one who sheltered uh, Joshua and Caleb in the city of Jericho. So Rahab is just another, another name for Egypt. Israel's decision to seek safety with Egypt rather than God results in Israel and Egypt being in shame. So what led Israel to make such a devastating decision? Were they waiting on a new word or a fresh prophecy? No, actually, Israel was told in Exodus as well as Deuteronomy not to go back to Egypt. 
they did not need a new word from God. They already had a word from God. But we've seen throughout the book of Isaiah, God's people had turned their hearts away from God. They were set to do what they wanted. When we put ourselves first, we put the things we love first. We set our hearts to tune out what God desires for us. We end up making choices that are the opposite of God's direction. And we can do so in two ways, willfully or ignorantly. When we willfully disobey God, we're basically saying that we know what God, God's word says, and we still think we know better. It's a pretty bold move, really. That our ways, we believe, are better than God's ways. Those who disobey God out of ignorance are those who maybe don't know what God has to say. However, ignorance is still a choice. It's still a, an, a choice to take matters into our own hands. Both options have chosen to trust our own judgment rather than God's. To ignore God or to rebel against God, both are, as verse 1 says, adding sin to sin. So let's look at the next section, repenting of faithless decisions. And this will be looking at verses 8 through 17. I'm not going to read this whole passage. Um, the next set of verses in this chapter unpack the actions of Israel further. And, and the prophet Isaiah does not hold back. He refers to them as rebellious people in verse 9, as well as children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. Then verses 10 and 11 say something really interesting. Israel was saying, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. So here we have people asking the prophet to change the message. The message that the prophet received from God they do not want to hear. They would rather hear something that they would like to hear. This happens frequently in our church today. So many only want happy thoughts, only read inspirational quotes or favorite clips of, of Scripture, choose to ignore the hard things. There are, in some circles, even some who claim to be prophets, but only offer positive, wishful thoughts, smooth things, or illusions. Have you heard such prophecies? I have. <laughs> I hear them more often during political 
election times, no matter what country I'm in. There's always somebody that's got some hopeful thought and it um, gets, gets called a prophecy. But it rings like smooth things or illusions. This is, a, this is a strong word for us. We must turn away from our own ways. That means, I mean, it, just to think about it, just to pull it aside to say, I would rather hear something untrue that sounds nice and pleasant for a moment than to hear that which is true, even if it's a hard truth. So instead we are called to turn back to God. Verse 15 says this, for thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. The religious word for this is repentance. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have done, you can turn back to God. And that is how you are saved. No matter how good you think you are, you must turn back to God. We have to pay attention to this point. We can get trapped in a cycle of, I don't have another better phrase for it, but fake repentance, a cycle of fake repentance. Have you done that? Sinned in a certain way, you feel guilty, you say, sorry, God, and then you sin again. Just repeat. I have. It's not fun. Ultimately, there is some way in which we think the sin is better than God. So we repent, but our hearts are not in it. That does something weird to my microphone when I do that. This, this trap of kind of fake repentance can be hard to get out of. We can even be sincere in that guilt and our prayers asking for forgiveness, but we still haven't let go of those things that we want so badly that are idols. We haven't let go of our solutions, our priorities. We've actually not submitted ourselves to God. We've just tried to play along in order to get things from God. It is the difference between being religious and truly surrendering to the grace of God. Two weeks ago, our guest speaker, Roger Bray, the one with the Australian accent, he talked of secret idols. Trusting God means we release our secret idols. 
which may be even things like self-reliance, our ego, and the things that we love more than we should. For some of us, we, we know this in our, in our minds. We know we should be repenting, but our efforts just aren't working. There is, however, good news. Restored in God's grace. Verse 18 says this, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. I'm going to read it again, just because I really like this verse. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. God, when we, even when we are trapped in that cycle of fake repentance, or even when we deliberately ignore God, God waits to be gracious to us. There's a passage in Romans 3 you see up on the screen. I'm going to read this as well. I believe there are a number of parallels here that show us how God has been has waited to be gracious to us. It says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, in his divine waiting, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And you see, you see here that, that God has, because God is a God of justice, he can't just overlook sin. He can't just quietly dismiss rebelliousness. He's a God of justice. He must deal with that which has gone wrong. But he's also a God of mercy and grace. And so he has waited on judgment. Earlier, when Karen read the scripture uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This was the night he was to be betrayed by Judas and arrested. He prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We see Jesus at this point of crisis. He has a very difficult decision, and he knows it will be a path of suffering. It'll be the hardest road in all history. He was not bearing his own burden. For scripture says Jesus knew no sin. Rather, he was bearing the burden of all humanity. Think about it. If you had the power that Jesus had, you would be trying to think of all the other solutions, all the other possibilities, maybe. But Jesus knew that God's justice must be satisfied. Jesus submitted fully to his Father's will, going to the death for our sakes. The amazing thing about this is Jesus, when Jesus makes this courageous choice to endure all suffering for the sake of you and I, we might assume that now we must do the same or that we will forfeit our salvation. But that's not how God's grace works. You might remember one of Jesus' disciples, Peter. Jesus warned Peter that he was going to deny him, and Peter swore to Jesus that he would do no such thing, that he would be faithful right to the end. And then when Jesus was arrested and people confronted Peter, he denied him. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus told Peter it would happen and still, and still Peter denied him. But the the amazing thing here is Jesus knew this would happen. And Jesus willingly chose to do as the Father willed. He willingly gave his life for Peter. That's not the end of the story for Peter. He denied Jesus, and yet Jesus forgave him. And it was in Christ, in Jesus, that Peter had renewed courage. So hear his words in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Church tradition tells us that Peter would be crucified himself under the Roman emperor Nero. It was not that Peter was now better. It was that Jesus' death and resurrection 
took away the threat of death for Peter. His faith in Jesus changed everything for him. So going back to Isaiah 30, there are reminders about what it means to surrender our lives to Christ. It is not easy, and it may mean that you give up earthly success in order to live faithfully. So here are, are three things uh, in verses 20, 21, 22. So the first one is, though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. Sometimes, um, sometimes Christianity has some false advertising. Uh, sometimes we, we will, we, we're prone to think if you just start following Jesus, everything in your life is going to go wonderful. And that's actually not, not what Jesus promised. Jesus promised, uh, I mean, this is, Jesus promised suffering for his name's sake. But the beautiful thing is Jesus also promised that he will give you joy in the midst of that. That he will give you strength to endure it. And that he will be there with you in the midst of it. Verse 21, this is the way, walk in it. It says, um, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Meaning that whether you make the right decision or maybe you make the wrong decision, and we all do at some point or another, that God, God's grace prevails over all of that. But there's still a process for us to repent, to put away those things that have uh, a, a grip on our hearts that should not. So verse 20 sa 22 says, you will say to them, the idols, be gone. We must put those things out. I started out by giving a couple of scenarios that required a difficult decision in Ukraine and Hong Kong. I, I do want to briefly say the pastor that I met in Ukraine, he was very careful to say that for him and his family, they were called to stay. But he knows others that were called to go elsewhere. The call to stay is not in and of itself the thing that pleases God. What God asks of us is that we ask of God, that we seek direction of God. There's one more example uh, in China. A human rights lawyer was saved by Jesus. He became the pastor of the early Rain Covenant Church in Chengdu. He and his wife were arrested in December of 2018. As you will see in a minute, uh, he spoke strongly about suffering as a faithful Christian. This video we're, that we're about to see is Pastor Wang Yi speaking before he was arrested. 
Uh, the video is in Chinese. I don't have, I, we didn't try to dub the video. That would sound kind of dumb, but there is, there are English subtitles. And so I, I think the video is roughly uh, three minutes. We'll watch that and then I'll conclude with a little bit more of that story. 走过前面这个大灾期然后经历到受难周我也在思想说主耶稣走在哥哥塔的路上什么叫做本福恩典不在乎行为呢他走在哥哥塔的路上一路上你知道没有鲜花和党生对吧也没有追光灯一直打在他
to tell those who have deprived me of my personal freedom that there is an authority higher than their authority and that there is a freedom that they cannot restrain, a freedom that fills the church of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. My prayer for us is that we would grow in our faith in Jesus, that we might have this kind of courage, a courage that only true faith offers. In whom do you truly trust?